Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 12, and we are going to be studying the principle that Aesop just taught us through his fable. In Proverbs chapter 12, Jesus does not teach us a fable, he actually teaches us a parable, which is another form of a story. Are you glad to be in church? If you are, let's praise God together, amen. We are glad you're here. So exciting to be able to study the Word of God together. And thank God for the the land he's given us, the freedom he's given us to continue to do so at this time. The dog and his bone is the name of today's sermon. Or another alternative title is the one big mistake of the rich man. Proverbs, oh excuse me, Luke chapter number 12 and verse number 15 is our text. Luke chapter number 12 and verse number 15. Let's see what the text says. And Jesus said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. Jesus is speaking here to a crowd of disciples, followers of his. And uh, these disciples, followers of his, had become extraordinarily, many of them, wealthy. Primarily because he was speaking to an audience that had followed the principles for thousands of years, for 1,500 years that had been laid out in the law, and for 1,000 years that had been laid out in Proverbs, as we discussed last week. Some of you here last week, we opened up the sermon series with a sermon entitled, The Four Words of the Wealthy. Does anybody remember any of the four words of the wealth builder? The four words of the wealth builder from last week's sermon, it's the first part of the series. Anybody remember one of those words? Raise your hand if you do. What was one? Yes, what was one of the words? frugality. And that was the first one you thought of. Give this guy a round of applause. Very good. That's the one none of us like. Very good. Uh, what was another word? Yes. Oh, yes. Diligence. Diligence. You, you said it before she did. And your word is stealing because you jumped. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but right. Uh, diligence and, and frugality. What was another one of the words? Yes. Longevity. Work long as you work hard and get along. Oh, what was the last one? Yes. Yeah, preparedness, preparing for that. So we said last week, based on the Proverbs of Solomon, there are four words of the wealth builder. Today's sermon is entitled, The One Big Mistake of the Rich Man, and Jesus talks about this mistake in verse number 12, or excuse me, verse 15 of chapter 12. And Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. It's a very dangerous sin. In fact, it was so dangerous that God names it as one of the top 10 in the top 10, 10 commandments, thou shalt not covet. It's right up there with don't kill people, right up there with don't take somebody else's wife. It's really, really bad, don't covet. Beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then Jesus goes on and tells them a parable. He speaks a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And this rich man thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? Wouldn't it be amazing that you became so wealthy as this man that you didn't even have enough room to store your wealth? Like, wouldn't that be amazing? Uh, Wouldn't it be amazing if you became so wealthy by following biblical principles that the banker called you and they're like, yeah, we just don't have enough room in the vault for your stuff anymore? (laughs) How many of you are like, whoa, my word, like that'd be, this is not such a bad thing, right? How many of you would like that call from the banker rather than the other one? Amen? Nobody wants to admit it. I'm in church, right? All right, well, here it is. That's what happens to this guy. Now it goes on. 
uh, he thought within himself, what shall I do since I have no room to store all my crops, all my wealth? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater barns. And there I will store all of my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Jesus is moral to the story. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let us pray. Father, as we study this story, I pray you would give us clear insight into the dangers of greed as you have taught so many years. I pray, Father, that you would help teach us today. Allow us to see this truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What do you do when you get an unexpected knock at your door? What do you do? See, when I was growing up, it was normal to get a knock at the door. It was normal, everyday occurrence. You get a knock at the door, as a kid that wants to go out and play or with somebody in the neighborhood or somebody sharing some kind of a religious literature. Knock at the door. Uh, not so much anymore, right? We, we used to go and open the door. Now we hide under the couch. Like, who is there? Like, what's going on? I mean, best case scenario, it's the guy from Amazon, right? Which you ordered yesterday and it should be there today. And you don't understand why your toaster isn't here yet. Knock at the door. Unexpected guests can be a blessing. Unexpected guests can be terrifying. Today, I want to let you know that an unexpected guest is likely to come to your home. It's one that you're not thinking a lot about, but of certainty, that unexpected guest will show up. Now, more on that guest at the end of the sermon. Jesus here is teaching, and what exactly is he teaching? He's teaching the principles of the dangers of greed. In fact, that's the proposition for this second sermon in the series, and that is greed, 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 covetousness, greed is the one big mistake of the rich man. I didn't say it's the only mistake of the rich man, it's the one big mistake because greed leads to all kinds of sins, all kinds of problems. In fact, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that greed, well, the love of money leads to all kinds of sins. How, how many of you agree with this statement? Money is not the root of all evil. You know, the Bible does not say money is evil. Do you, do you agree with this? Is money, I'll ask it this way. Is money good or is money bad? Okay, some of you aren't sure. If, you, if you're not sure, I need you to give me all of what you have. Right? I want to take it off your hands. I don't want you to have evil stuff. I'll take it. Is money good or is money bad? It's good. It's good. It's a good tool. It can use, be used for bad, yes, but it is a good thing that God blesses us with. That's found throughout Scripture. You say, no, the Bible says money is the root of all evil. No, the Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money, greed, covetousness is the root of all kinds of evil, and that's exactly the problem with the rich man. The rich man has a problem in his mind because as a rich man or a rich woman, greed blinds you. You say, well, how does greed blind the rich man? Greed can blind the rich man in three primary ways. Greed can blind the rich woman in three primary ways. 
Greed can blind you to the truth of reality, the truth of generosity, and the truth of mortality. Let's talk about the truth of reality. The truth of reality to begin with. Three parts to the sermon. Here's the first part. Greed can blind you to the truth of reality. The rich man often can't see his limited role in his own success. The rich woman cannot often see her limited role in her own success. If you and I were walking down a country road and we saw a beautiful field and a fence around that field and a post fence and and, and sitting on top of this post was a turtle, I guarantee you one thing, that turtle did not get up there by himself. Somebody had to help, help him up there. You know what's absolutely true of every turtle in this room? (laughs) You didn't get there on your own. The problem with the rich man is often he forgets, she forgets his own limited role in his own success. I did it. No, you didn't. There were a lot of people around you that helped you get where you're at. Look at what Luke chapter number, Jesus' story goes on. Do you remember what Jesus said in verse 15? Jesus said, beware of covetousness. Because your life consists more than in the things that you own, the things you possess. And then he goes on in the next verse and he tells them a story. Here's a parable that I'm telling unto you. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. The ground brought forth. The ground did. The ground did it. The ground did. Notice that Jesus picks his words very carefully and intentionally. He doesn't say, in this one community, there was a farmer smarter than all of the other farmers. This farmer got up earlier than all the other farmers. This farmer stayed out later than all the other farmers. And because this farmer was brighter, smarter, faster, better, stronger than all the other farmers, this farmer brought forth all of this wealth. Is that what it says? No. It says the ground brought forth the wealth. Do you think Jesus messed up these words, or do you think he knows what he's saying? You know what often happens with those who have been blessed with wealth? Because they followed the principles of Proverbs that we talked about, they often look back on their life and say, look at what I have done. And God says, wasn't it the ground that brought forth all of that? Presumably, the other farmers in the community were getting up and doing their fields just like you were. But somehow, 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 you just happen to have some land that is very fertile. I'll say it this way. You are only a small part of your success. That's it. That's humility. See what the rich man often forgets? The rich woman, listen to me, is that we forget we are only often a small part of our own success. And it's really sad when you see it. I I should say it's really good when you see those who realize that. You remember Kobe? One of the things I love about Kobe's farewell address, his final speech that he gives on the night of finishing 20 years as a Los Angeles Laker, look at what he says and notice all the honoring language he has for others. He says, man, I can't believe how fast 20 years has gone by. This is crazy. This is absolutely crazy to be standing here at center court with you guys, my teammates behind me. Notice this. He talks about others, not himself. Kobe, Kobe, this moment is about you. 
There are tens of thousands of fans screaming about Kobe Bryant. But he says, instead of it being about him, he makes it about others, my teammates behind me, and appreciating this journey that we've been on. You know, we've been through our ups and we've been through our downs. And I think most important part is that we all stayed together throughout. Notice the honoring language of this man. He goes on in the speech. He says, all I can say is thank you guys. Now he's talking to the fans. All I can do is thank you guys. Thank you guys for all of your support. Thank you guys for all of your motivation. Thank you guys for all of your inspiration. Then his speech becomes highly emotional based upon what we know over the next four years. He says, to my family, my wife Vanessa, our daughter, Natalia and Gianna, thank you for all of your sacrifices. All the time I spent in the gym and training, Vanessa holding down the family like, like the way that you have. Vanessa, there is no way I can thank you enough for that. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. What can I say, Mamba Al? Now hear me. That's a man who understands he did not get where he was by himself. And then there are others. Here's another man. His name is Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Snoop Dogg got a star on the walk of Hollywood Walk of Fame. True or false? True or false? True or false? You say it to me. True or false? Um, true or false? Kobe Bryant successful. True or false? True. True or false? Snoop Dogg successful. True or false? True. true. Look at Snoop Dogg's Hollywood Walk of Fame speech. I want to thank me for believing in me. I want to thank me for doing all this hard work. I want to thank me for having no days off. I want to thank me for never quitting. I want to thank me for always being a giver and never trying to give more than I receive. I want to thank me for trying to do more right than wrong. I want to thank me for just being me all of the time. And all of us want to sit back and be like, you're amazing, aren't you? Yet this is often what happens to those of us, all of us. It's not, look, I can't just pick on poor Snoop Dogg. I got to tell you, I've been there. My wife and I, two years into our church plant, we started this church in Las Vegas, Southern Hills, uh, back in 2004. And uh, immediately the church started to grow. And for a church planter, that is successful. People are coming and people are getting saved and baptized. The church is growing. It's a really cool thing. And we got invited about 18 months into the church plant to a church planter's luncheon in Southern California. And we went there and it was a very honoring time. The main speaker, the pastor that was hosting the whole thing got up and he, he said, welcome to all of the church planters. Let us begin by introducing them. They introduced a few, came up to my time to be introduced and I'm sitting there and I'm like kind of nervous. And he said, we have here brother Tice. Now, you have to understand, when my wife and I started this church, we worked long hours. You want to talk about diligence? We were out every night of the week inviting people in the community to the church. Every single day, we'd get up early and pray. Every single week, we'd put together the church bulletins. Every single week, we would pray for the church. We worked hard in those early days, and longevity was every single day. I mean, it was difficult days. So finally, for me to be recognized for what I had done was really a cool moment. Pastor Tice, Brother Tice, uh, is a minister in Las Vegas, and he planted this church, and he did a great job and he's done some pastor tice would you please stand and talk about all that you've done and i did i stood and i said well let me explain a few things that we did that i did to to do what i did and i i first of all i did this and i did that and this is what i've done and all of these things that i've done and i want to thank you for finally honoring me for what i've done and i sat down and heather leaned over and whispered to me she said it really is amazing all that you've accomplished all by yourself 
say, man, Snoop Dogg's a bad guy. No worse than me. No worse than me. Because this is what we tend to do when we, we see a little bit of success after our hard work is that we want all of the recognition right now. We're not just greedy for the money, we're greedy for the approval, we're greedy for the applause, we're greedy for the recognition, it's all about what we have done. That's why, that's why Moses told the uh, children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse 18, Moses said, and you shall remember the Lord your God. Here, here's my question for those of us who have been working hard and getting ahead. Do you recognize the contribution of your employees? Do you recognize the contribution of your, your partners? Do you recognize the contribution of your community? Do you recognize the contribution of your God? Moses, after the children of Israel escaped out of Egypt by the hand of God, they spend 40 years in the wilderness and they're about to enter into the promised land. And I gotta tell you, their lives were never gonna be the same because now they had the laws of God and they were gonna live by the laws of God and as they did live by the laws of God, God was gonna bless them for those things. They were about to experience a bunch of former slaves from Egypt who were about to experience the greatest blessing from God that the world had ever seen. And so he gets up in Deuteronomy chapter eight and preaches a sermon. That's what Deuteronomy is, it's three sermons. And one of the sermons, he says, hey, when you get in there and all the blessings you get, don't forget God. For it is he that gives you the power to get wealth. It's not you. You didn't do it apart from God. Pride and arrogance is not a virtue of Christianity. It's a vice. Do you see this? Well, he needed to teach this to them because very soon in chapter 13 and 14 of Deuteronomy, he would be introducing the concept of tithing to the people. He would be saying, as God blesses you in the land, as God has given to you, now it's your way of honoring God. You say, how can I remember that it was God? Well, number one, you can thank him for what he did. But the subscribed way, according to scripture, that we honor God for how God has blessed us is we give back to God. We give to him a portion of that which he's given to us. This is why our church is being involved right now, the tithe challenge. Now, if you're not a Christian or you're not a member of this church, uh, please, we're just glad that you're here. Please know that this part of the sermon is not directed toward you in any way, but as a member of this church, you need to begin taking seriously the concept of the tithe challenge as God has blessed you to now get involved in giving back to God through a sense of honoring him for giving you the ability and the power to gain that wealth. Do you, do you recognize the danger of not crediting God? Nebuchadnezzar does. Ne Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, which he would have been like an emperor during his time. This was not just some small kingdom. It was one of the great historic empires of the world. And Nebuchadnezzar one day, because he had done so much, he, he actually does this. The Bible tells us in Daniel chapter four that King Nebuchadnezzar one day was walking through the palace that he had built. And notice Snoop Dogg, excuse me, notice, uh, notice what Nebuchadnezzar says. Nebuchadnezzar was walking about his royal palace of Babylon one day and the king spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power for all the honor of my majesty? I wanna thank me. <laughs> While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. 
have you, have you come to the realization yet that God knows you? And God hears you. And he hears the words you say. And he, think, he hears the words you think. And when we sit back and say, look at what I've done and look at what they've done and they deserve to be where they're at and I deserve to be where I'm at. Oh, you are in some dangerous territory. Your pride and arrogance is about to make you fall like you've never seen. That's what happened with this man. The Bible says God's voice called out from heaven and said unto him, King Nebuchadnezzar, it is spoken unto you now, the kingdom has departed from you. And if you study this story, he is departed from his kingdom. In fact, a curse comes upon him, and the Bible says his hair began to grow out, and his fingernails began to grow out. This is some like uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff we see here. (laughs) And the Bible says he becomes like a beast of the field, and all of his servants are like, what do we do? I don't know, open the door so we can go outside. And he literally lives for a year like an animal in the palace courtyards and eating the grass from under the trees. Read the story, it's a weird story. Until after a year, the Bible says he looks up to God and gives him credit for what he did, not for what I've done. Do you know the danger of not giving credit? See, greed is the one big mistake of the rich man. And it blinds the rich man to certain things. It blinds the rich man to the reality that you did not do it on your own. Can I get an amen? Amen. Number two, greed can blind you to the truth of generosity. The truth of generosity. You say, what's the truth of generosity? Here's the truth of generosity. The rich man often doesn't realize the greatest thing about being rich is to give it away. The coolest part about being rich is now you have money to give to people that you don't have to be asking others for money, that you're giving money away. And I've got to tell you, as one who has been very, very poor and one who has been working hard throughout with, with Heather, with Heather, along together with Heather. As we have been working hard these last 20 years, we've come to a place in our lives where we're beginning to see a little bit of that, that, that reward. One of the coolest things is now to be able to give to be generous with others. This is, what the, this is what Jesus says in his story, Luke chapter two. Remember how the story was? Jesus said, beware of covetousness because your life is more than the things you own. Let me tell you a story. There was a certain rich man whose ground brought forth a lot of, a lot of, a lot of fruit. And then he goes on in the story. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store all of my crops? Wouldn't that be a great problem to have? Like I said before, wouldn't it be amazing to have so much money you could not fit it all? When when I think of somebody like this, I grew up watching DuckTales. Anybody want to think of DuckTales? You thinking of DuckTales too? Same thing, right? DuckTales, you think, man, if I don't have so much money, I'm going to build one of those Scrooge McDuck uh, uh, bank vaults and I'm going to swim in all my coins. By the way, I don't think that would work. I thought about it. That would hurt diving into silver and gold. And this is what we think. This is the mistake of the wealthy man. He goes on. So he said, I will do this. He said, what are you going to do? Now that you realize you have more money than you can use right now, what do you do with the overflow? I know what I'll do. I'll I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns 
And there I will store all of my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease and eat and drink and be merry. Because that's the reason God blessed you. No other options. No other options. You're blessed with more than you can use. No other options other than making yourself a bigger bank. Now, Jesus is the one telling the story. If somebody raised their hand with Jesus there, do you think if they said, Jesus, what other options did he have? How many of you think Jesus would have thought of a few other options to do with overflow? Listen, Listen, my friends. The greatest part of being wealthy is the ability to give money, to give to others, to be able to bless others with what God has given you. You see, greed is a poison. It's a poison. And some of us have been infected with that poison. And greed is infected inside of our hearts and it's flowing through our blood veins. And you say, if I'm If I'm poisoned with greed, is there an antidote? Yes, there's an antidote. Generosity is the antidote. The only way to get past greed is to give it away. Give it away. In fact, that's what Jesus said to the rich young ruler. Do you remember? The Bible says a very rich, powerful young man came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I have a question for you. I'm sure you know who I am. Here's my question, Jesus. What could I do to earn eternal life? And Jesus knew his heart, knew that he was a greedy, uh, greedy man. And so he looked at the man and said, here's what you do to earn eternal life. Take all your money and give it to the poor. Now, some have misinterpreted Jesus' words to mean this. That is, if you give all your money to the poor, you can earn a place in heaven. That's not what he was saying. Jesus knew this guy's biggest problem was greed. And the only antidote to greed was generosity. Give it away. If greed is your problem, I give you one assignment, one assignment, give as much as you possibly can away today, tomorrow, all week, give it, give it. Give it until until you stop being greedy. That's, That's what Christ would teach. That's what he did teach. It's what we see throughout all of the New Testament. Now, you say if greed, if generosity is the antidote to greed, then to whom should I give? Glad you asked. There are two primary places. First, we give back to God. Secondly, we give to the poor. In that order. This is what we see is taught in, Luke, in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, honor the Lord with your possessions. How do I honor the Lord with what I own? By taking your first fruits of all your increase. By giving your first fruits of all your increase. That is, as God increases your wealth, you give back the first portion back to God. First fruits back then was the very first of all of the harvest that comes into the barns. I'm gonna take a portion of that. And back then, during the time of Moses, they would take it to the tabernacle and give it to the tabernacle. During the time of Solomon, they would take it and give it to the temple. During the time of, uh, of the apostles, they would take it and they would give it to the church. This is how you give back to God. And then it says, so will your barns be filled with plenty and your vats overflow with new wine. As God is generous with you, you become generous with God and God becomes more generous with you and you become, we call it the cycle of generosity. But the moment you stop the cycle is the moment God stops the cycle. And this is the aspect that many Christians don't understand as they follow the four words of wealth building from last week. 
as they, if that's somebody's phone, check it real quick. I'm not sure who that was. All right, I'm just kidding. The four words of wealth building, as you have those, they forget that there is an aspect for the Christian called generosity that must be in place. So what do we see? We see, according to this passage, the cycle of generosity. Now, as you give back to God through tithes and offerings, there is a second place you can give after that. The second place. Again, I've got to point you to the tithe challenge. I am not, if you're new here, I'm not the type of pastor who likes to just um, tell you what to do based on what the Bible says. I want to give you a how to do it. That's why there are many of us that are joining the tithe challenge. We're going to be turning in those cards that they've been talking about next week. Heather will tell you more about it in a little bit. The tithe challenge helps us, and, or excuse me, helps you, each and every one of us taking it, really fulfill this part. Now, when God has been generous with us, we give back to others. First, we give to God, and then we give to the poor. What does the Bible say about this? Look what it says. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 13. Whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. Listen, hear this. Do you know why Las Vegans have a very, very difficult time understanding the concept of giving to the poor? Because most of us think we are the poor. Most of us sit back and think, this is good. I'm glad pastor's talking about giving to the poor because I'm ready, you know? I'm... <laughs> I love you, my dear friend, but you are not the poor. Just statistically speaking. In Las Vegas, the average medium income household is $56,200 and something. 56. That means if you are the average medium income in the household in Las Vegas, you are the top 0.2% wealthiest people in the world. Top 0.2%, not top two, top 0.2%. Remember a couple years ago, everybody's like, down with the one percenters. Don't say it, it's you. <laughs> You're the one percenter. You're yelling about you. Did you know you were that wealthy? You may not know you're that wealthy, but if you've been to the slums of India like I've been, where you watch literally half-naked children walking through garbage heaps to find leftover food, you'll understand the way the world really works. Americans have to... You know what the Bible says in the, in the book of James? That it's the pastor's responsibility to stir up the wealthy people to remember where their wealth came from and how wealthy they really are. So what I'm doing today literally is my job. You're far wealthy. Did you, you say, well, our family doesn't have $56,000 in income. Did you know if your family has $25,000 annually in income, 25, in America, 25, you are of the top 2% of the world's pop, uh, wealthiest people, top 2%. You are under the poverty line in the United States, and if you are under the poverty line, you are above the wealthiest 2% in the world. That's how much God has blessed this nation, because this nation used to follow godly principles. Oh, I said used to. That's exactly what I said, by the way. That's another sermon. Now listen, hear me. Hear, hear what I'm saying. Follow biblical principles and be generous with the poor. Look at what he says if we're not. There are certain people who shut their ears to the cry of the poor. God says, you know what happens whenever you say, I don't want to hear it. Look, look at these people. And this is what we do sometimes, don't we? I'm guilty of it. You shut your ears to the cry of the poor and you think, I'm where I'm at because of what I've done. And you're where you're at because of what you've done. 
I'm not going to hear the poor. God says one day you'll cry out and God will be like this. Yeah. We see the danger of not being, will, of, of not being generous. Proverbs 22 verse 9 says, He who has a bountiful eye will be blessed and he who gives his for he gives his bread to the poor. You can have an evil eye. The Bible says it's an evil eye. It's a, it's a, uh, a greedy eye and it leads to poverty. Or you can have a generous eye and as you have a generous eye, you give to others and this initiates this, this cycle of generosity like we talked about. Look, I know what it's like. I do. I remember in our early 20s when Heather and I were first married um, and we had nothing very, very little. We're just getting started. I know what it's like to go and, uh, and count up every quarter and dime you have in the house so we can get dominoes. You know what I mean? Like, you, you know, you remember those days? By the way, if you're here today and you don't remember those days, that's the way your 20s is supposed to work, right? If you're in your 20s, if you're in your 20s and you're like, I don't understand why I don't have enough money to eat at Chipotle every day. It's because you're in your 20s. <laughs> we all pay our dues, it's not easy, you see? And then you work hard and then you get ahead. Nobody owes you anything. Do I have to re-preach last Sunday's sermon? Nobody owes you anything, work hard, get ahead. And then after you work hard, you work hard, you work hard, suddenly you, you got some quarters and some dollars that are starting to stack up. You've saved, you've invested. Heather and I are now at the place in our lives where we're able to turn around and be generous. Like, I remember early in the days, it was like, I remember days that, that um, out of the blue, God would give us through somebody, somebody, God give us like a Chipotle gift card or something. And like, that was a big deal for us. Like, you get a card, you know, somebody give me a card and you fill the card, you know, you could tell something's in a card or if it's empty, you know? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one? You get a card and you're like, you can feel like, Cece, you've given us cards <laughs> with, with stuff in it. And you feel, and this is what you do. You're feeling that you feel it and you're like, oh, there's something in that card. And you're talking, you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> All you're thinking about what's in the card. What's in the card? What's in the card? And then you walk away, you open up the card, and if it's something homemade, you're like, what's going on, man? Like, where's the gift card, right? I remember those moments. And now, the way the cycle is supposed to work is you get to a certain place in your life because you followed those principles that if you want the cycle to continue, now you're generous and you're giving and you're giving and you're giving. And the coolest part about being wealthy is that you get to give away rather than being given to. So much better. It's more blessed to give than receive. That's what God says and this is the context of that concept uh, there. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 22 says, do not rob the poor because he is poor, neither oppress the afflicted in the gate for the Lord will plead their cause and cause uh, the spoil, and spoil those who spoil them. Be careful not to, be careful to take advantage of the poor because God says, I plead their cause. How many of you want to be on God's side? You want to be on God's side? Then be on the side of the poor. When you're on the side of the poor, Christians have a responsibility to care for the poor. And by the way, look, I don't need a government institution to tell me to be, to, be, to be generous to the poor. What we need to be as Christians is generous to the poor. The problem that we face is because Christians maybe have not been generous with the poor, then God allows other institutions to demand that we're generous with the poor. There should be no poor because we as Christians are going out of our way to constantly find the poor and take care of them in our nation and then around the world. Do you understand? This is our responsibility. 
This is what Christ would have taught. This is what he did teach. This is what his apostles would have taught. This is what they did teach. And this is what our responsibility is to this day. Give, 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 give. Number one, greed can blind you. It does me. It can blind you to the truth of reality. You didn't get there on your own. It can blind you to the truth of generosity. The best part about being wealthy is giving it away. Number three, the truth of mortality. Say, what's the truth of mortality? The rich man can't see that death Death comes knocking when you don't expect him. See, Jesus is telling the story, you remember? Jesus said, hey, be careful of covetousness, it's dangerous. Your life is more than the things that you own. There was a certain rich man and his ground was very fertile, so he got a lot of wealth from it. And then one day that man said to himself, look at all the wealth that I have, what should I do with all of my wealth? I know what I'll do, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And then Jesus said in the story, look at the passage, but God said to him, fool, I gotta tell you, it's not, it, it doesn't feel good when somebody calls you a fool. It's even worse when God calls you a fool. God says, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Death is at your doorstep. Then who will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, the rich man has a difficult time seeing that death is coming because the rich man has so much wealth, he can or she can keep herself or himself so busy with all of the things of the world, they can distract themselves from the reality of death. And so when death comes, it's a shock to them. The poor man who's living in the, in the midst of uh, 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 the slums of India that we've been to, they know death is coming because they see it every day. And so when you go to a poor man and you say, hey, death is coming and life is very short and do you know what happens to your soul when you die? They're very interested. They're very intent. No, I don't know what happens to my soul because I know death is coming. But then a man like me goes to a wealthy community like this and I say, hey, are you aware that your soul is in danger of hell? And we think, what's for lunch? We think, what's the stock market doing? We think, what are the politicians saying today? We think, what's on Disney Plus next? We don't care about our soul because we're distracted by our wealth. But you'll die just as certain as the poor man in India. And your soul will be required of you. You'll stand before the same God and that God is not gonna say Americans in this line and poor people in this line and you'll have nothing to bargain with. There'll be no impression in that day. There won't be a God in heaven who's impressed by what you've done. He created the world, you did nothing. You gonna pay him off? You gonna make a deal with him? Jesus literally said in Mark chapter eight and verse 36, Jesus literally said, for what shall it profit a man that he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Okay, God, okay, I, I get it, I get it. I, I forgot about my afterlife, but here's the deal. If you, please, please, if, if you let me into heaven, I'll give you my mansion down at home. Really, really? This is why Jesus said, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. 
Why? Because the rich man, he doesn't need heaven. He's already living in it. Maybe, maybe, maybe God gave you a huge gift today because he's opening up your mind to something very few rich people have a chance to see. And that is you're going to die. Have you made arrangements? Say, what do I have to do? Great question. The answer is not much because Jesus already did it. Say, what do you mean? See, here's the problem. You and I have a huge debt that we can't pay off. Say, no, no, that's not true. I did the debt snowball with Dave Ramsey. All my debts are paid for. (laughs) No, no, no. It's not a financial debt. It's a spiritual debt. You've sinned against God. You've sinned against God so much that your sin is going to damn you to hell for eternity, forever, forever. Say, what do I do to pay off this debt? You have two choices. You can die and go to hell and pay for it for eternity yourself. Or you can let somebody else pay for it. Which one do you think you should do? Say, who can pay for it? You, Josh? No, I can't pay for it because I have my own debt. But there was a guy named Jesus who came to earth and he lived perfectly his entire life, never sinned, which means he doesn't have his own debt to pay for. He also is the son of God, which means he has the power to die and rise from the grave. And in doing so, when Jesus Christ died upon the cross and shed his blood, his blood was supposed to be a payment for your sins. So you say, well, what do I do? The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Repent of your sin and say, God, I don't want my sin. I want you. And the Bible says, if you repent and receive Christ, you'll be born again. You'll be saved. Just as saved as any man who has ever lived, just as saved as any woman who has ever lived. And standing with complete, utter equality at the throne of God saying, I didn't deserve heaven, but you died for me and I believed on you and I asked you to save me. And you said, if I ask, you would save me. Welcome into eternity, my friend. So it's a gift today. It's a gift many, 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 many Americans, many rich people will never get. It's an opportunity to view your mortality, to repent of your sin and receive Christ as your savior. Will you do so? Right now where you sit. Or will you reject him by allowing your mind to wander into your next few hours of wealth? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for my friends who have never yet repented and received you. I pray that today they would call upon you as Lord and Savior and be born again. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, this is a sacred moment. We are still in prayer. And I'm asking each and every one of you, specifically those who have never been born again, to receive Christ even now. I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to point you out, but I want to know something. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Josh, I'm not perfect, but I have been saved. I have repented and received Christ. If that's you here today, you're not perfect, but you are a Christian, you know you've been born again. Would you raise your hand with me? Pastor Josh, I'm not perfect, but I know I'm saved. I've, I've received Christ. Raise your hand if that's you. Wonderful, you put your hands down. Some of you couldn't raise your hands. You're not even sure. You're not sure. Okay, here's your moment. Would you right now where you sit, humbly pray and ask Jesus to save you? Right where you sit, say to God, say, God, forgive me of my sins.
I repent. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And right now I'm asking you to save me. Take me to heaven when I die. I trust you alone with my soul. Make me a Christian even now. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Josh, today, in the best way I know how, I prayed, I asked Jesus to save me. I'm not sure that I've ever done that, but today I know I did. Would you raise your hand with me? Pastor Josh, today I prayed and asked, good, God bless you, yeah, amen. Their hands throughout, good. Would you talk to God about that decision even now? Say, God, thank you for the chance to hear the good news of the gospel. Father, thank you for the chance to preach the good news of the gospel. Thank you for the friendship that I have with so many in this room. Thank you that they're so kind to come and hear me teach the Bible every Sunday. Bless them for doing so. As we leave this place, I pray you would remind us of the great gift that you've been given us. And that's not simply this country or the wealth, but that you have given us the greatest wealth, and that is the chance to be born again, to live for eternity with you. Helps to always value that. In Jesus' name we pray.